of Worship, your source for commentary and discussion on worship, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Well, hello and welcome to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. And today in the Psalm Project, we are here in Psalm 65. We are plowing through this book. It is a large book, 150 chapters, and we are going through all of them. I expect sometime next year to finish it. By the end of this year, probably be in the 80s or 90s, somewhere around there. And here we are at Psalm 65. We are still in book two. Remember, the original Psalter is divided into five books. If you buy a modern Psalter today, which would be sort of like a hymnal, that would have the Psalms set to music, which is what I am doing here, um, it would typically be divided into five books. And when you approach a new book, you will see that title as book two or book three or book four, whatever it may be. We are in book two, often referred to as the Psalms of the Northern Kingdom. And so here we are in Psalm 65, simply titled to the choir master, a Psalm of David. It is a song. And so as I've mentioned Many times, but specifically at the beginning of this journey, these psalms were often intended to be used in music and musical settings. And so you are literally looking at the hymnal of Israel, the the resources that they used in their worship contexts. And so here we are in Psalm 65. And this is uh, um, largely related to Israel's agricultural economy. Uh, and you will see that because here it, the psalm talks about rainfall, which was commonly variable. I mean, it, I live in a farming community, and uh, while farmers still rely heavily on rain, farmers now have the ability to water their crops in other ways. Um, and so this psalm thanks God for sending rain in an answer to prayer. So let's look at this, Psalm 65 beginning in verse 1. Praise is due to you, O God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hears prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness. O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. The one who is by the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain. For so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. 
The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. So let's get into this in Psalm 65. And we've seen this uh, several times in the book of Psalms. Uh, But the author here, David, references Zion at the beginning. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. And I've mentioned this. uh, You will see this title several times more in the book of Psalms. This is the location uh, chosen by God for the temple and the place towards which praise is directed. And then he says, and to you shall vows be performed. Now, in the last several chapters, we've seen this word vows. Uh, what this means is when Israel brought petitions before the Lord, they frequently promised to offer sacrifices in response to answered prayer. And so when you think about vows to God, I'm not talking about, okay, you're watching a football game and God, if you will let my team win, I promise to so-and-so, whatever. (laughs) That's not what I'm talking about. Um, and, And we've all been guilty of making that mistake before, especially if you're an avid sports fan like me. That is not the right way to approach a vow to God. Um, but these are vows that the people of Israel made in an earnest plea for God to answer their prayers. And in this case, uh, he's talking about, obviously, uh, rain, sending the rain. Verse 3, when iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. So from the perspective of the sinner, there is no hope. And this is, this is truth. This is there, you know, there are people that believe that, that we have some sort of good in us, that we have capacity for good. That is not a biblical concept. No, it, we are all dead in our transgressions and our trespass, uh, trespasses apart from Christ. So from the perspective of the sinner, there is no hope, but God in his grace forgives the sinner. And this is a source of great joy to the psalmist here. Then he uses this word that we've also seen several times in verse 4. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near. Blessed. We talked about this from the very beginning in Psalm 1. It is more than just happiness, but it only exists for those who are in right relationship with God. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near. You choose. God's free grace is the source of blessing, and the highest blessing of all is to enjoy his fellowship. Listen to this in Psalm 16, 11. We've already already covered Psalm 16, but let's go back to it. Verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I love what John Piper says that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And often he will go on to add in the midst of persecution and trials. And so the source of happiness, blessed here in verse 4, blessed is the one whom you choose and bring near. Now people may not want to get into this aspect of it, but it is throughout scripture that God chooses us. And... um, When you talk about choice, our choice is always sin apart from Christ. And then 
When we passively, not actively, but passively are radically transformed by the grace of God, then and only then do we choose to honor Christ. Now, so, so the, the question then, I'm kind of chasing a rabbit here, but what happens first? Do we make the choice to follow Christ and then we are changed or are we changed first and then make the choice to follow Christ? And, and as I say that, understand there is a difference in free will and choice. And so people might argue, and I, I'm a Calvinist, openly admit this, people might argue choice and free will is the same thing. It is absolutely not. Nowhere in Scripture do we see anything that suggests free will. Now, sure, you could take some Scriptures out of context and, uh, and try to make it seem like it says something about free will, uh, but we do see references about choice. These are different. Uh, think of it this way. Our choice is controlled by our desires, which are given by God. And so what happens first? Do we choose God and then are changed, or are we changed and then choose God? The latter is what happens. So, we it, salvation is not something that happens actively. In other words, we pursue salvation. Salvation is something that happens passively. God, in his sovereignty, chooses us, and then we are changed. And that is backwards from what a lot of people may think, that, that we somehow have the ability to choose God, and then we are changed. Again, I, I might be chasing a bit of a rabbit here, but uh, the concept of God choosing is right here in Psalm 65, so it is important enough for me to mention at least. And I could get into that even deeper, but we're not going to do that. We're going to move on. Verse 5, by awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness. In other words, God is not a distant deity who has nothing to do with his creation. And that is one of the beautiful things about our God, whereas other religions might have a God that is distant, or as they understand their God, even though that God doesn't exist, that God may be distant. Our God is close to us, and certainly there is a, a reverence that we should have toward God, understanding that he is far different from us. Uh, but he is also close to his creation, and he answers prayer directly by intervening in history and in the lives of his people. It says, by, by your awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth. In the theologies of the surrounding lands to Israel, it was thought that there might be uh, that there were different gods or uh, for other localities, if you will. For example, uh, the god uh, Marduk of Babylon or Baal. Uh, these gods, the psalmist knows that the Lord is not simply another god among many; He is the God of the universe. And so, often these references that you see in the Psalms. Uh, you know, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. David is specifically thinking here about what the other surrounding nations and lands might think about their gods, that these are gods of 
local, these are localized gods, whereas the one true God is the God of all the universe. Verse six, the one who by his strength established the mountains and the mountains um, are a symbol of firmness and strength. God's creation, and, and it, they, are sh- they show off his power and his greatness. Uh, you can reference Psalm 46 when you're thinking about this. Establish the mountains being girded with might. In other words, God is clothed with power as a, as a divine warrior who conquers the enemies of Israel. Listen to this, Joshua 5, 13 through 15. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the conqueror of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Some some other um, references, when you talk about the greatness of God, uh, uh, Judges chapter 5 is a good one. This is a song of uh, Deborah and Barak. And, And I'm not going to read the entire passage, but... Um, there are references to the commanders of Israel. Verse 9, my heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. When new gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. The kings came, they fought. They fought the kings of Canaan. And then at the end of this, of, of Judges chapter 5, So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. And then it says, And the land had rest for 40 years. And so this was a um, a symbol. This was not just a symbol, but this was really a display of God's might. So when David here is saying, um, that God is girded with might, he understands and knows what has happened in the history of Israel. And he understands and believes that these are, these are not just fake stories. These are real things that happened where God displayed his incredible might. And not only did Israel see it, but the surrounding nations saw it. And they, they beheld the glory of God and the might of God. And it had an impact, a direct impact on them, and in the, my prayer is that that would be what we want. That what we desire, not just God to come through for us for our benefit, but that He would show His glory and His power and His might, so that not only would we remember it, but other people would see it and and know that He is God. Verse seven: Who stills the roaring of the seas? The roaring of their waves. The seas, again, this, these, this represents chaos and evil. Daniel 7 is, is a great example of that. It talks about uh, the vision of the four beasts and the son of man is given dominion. 
And and so this is a great example of the chaos of evil. I'd encourage you to read that sometime. Uh, it's Again, these are some long passages, so I'm not going to read the entire things, but um, waves and oceans and seas, this often represents chaos in the book of Psalms. In verse 8, So that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. And so a deeper meaning of this verse was brought to light in the coming of Christ and the preaching of the gospel throughout the world. But here, David understands that God displaying his might and his glory is so that everyone, even to the ends of the earth, would understand the awe of God. And again, this psalm directly references the agricultural economy of Israel here. And so after this, David starts speaking of what the Lord has done to the earth so that they receive their their harvest. Verse 9, you visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. You can compare this to 1 Kings 17 through 19. This is the time of Elijah when God cursed his people these rebellious people, by withholding the rain. And you remember the story where Elijah called down fire from heaven. And uh, so this, this is a reference to not, not God withholding rain, but of, of thankfulness for God giving the rain. You water its furrows abundantly. You crown the year with your bounty. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. So David here is giving thanks and praise to God for the blessing of the rain that he has sent. Uh, so this is a very declarative musical setting that does give thanks to God for what he has done for his people. It remembers what he has done for his people. And the beautiful thing about that, I think, is that even we as Christians in 2022 are linked to God's people even in the Old Testament, that through Jesus Christ, we have been grafted in. And so now we play as part of that same meta story, the meta story of God working in the midst of his people, what he did for Israel, he continues to do for his people today. So here is the musical setting for Psalm 65. Thank you for listening today to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Satisfied and filled.
farthest sea His strength set firm the mountains Power clothes him evermore Who stills the people's clamor Makes calm the ocean's roar The far and distant peoples Behold your signs with fear You make the dawn and sunset Shout loud with joy and cheer You visit earth in showers And so enrich the field God's river brims with water As you prepare earth's yield You water its rich furrows Its ridges smooth with rain You soften earth with showers You bless its sprouting grain You've crowned each year with goodness Your paths enrich the ground The desert pastures blossom With joy the hills resound The fields with flocks are covered The valleys clothed with grain They all rejoice with shouting With songs their joy